0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Mark the 13th chapter where my Bible is opened up. Mark chapter 13. I'll invite you to be finding a Bible and be turning to that passage this morning. Let's be about the business of reverencing God's Word. That is what this part of our worship is devoted entirely to. The thought and consideration and study of God's Word and how all of that intersects with our lives here upon this earth. As you're turning there, let me say how great it is to see everybody this morning. So glad that you are here. We have a great number uh, in attendance, even with some of our folks traveling out for the holiday. We have several guests who have traveled in for... Uh, maybe you're not here for the holiday, but you just happen to be here uh, on what's been a holiday weekend. We're just glad that you're here today and trust that you find everything that we're doing today to be done uh, in spirit and in truth and in keeping with uh, the teaching and the example of the New Testament. So glad to have you with us today. Do you have Mark 13 queued up? Let's read together in verse 32. In Mark 13 and in verse 32, Jesus says here, He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. I want to imagine, if you will, imagine with me for a moment, Imagine that tomorrow morning you wake up, get ready, go about your day as, as usual, business as usual. Get your clothes on, get prepared for the events of the day, whether you're working or whether you're doing whatever else you've got planned for the day. You get ready and you go outside, step out your front door and you look up to the sky. And there in enormous flaming characters was the following. 6 days, 17 hours, 10 minutes, and 5 seconds. And that number is not just sitting there idle in the sky. It's actually moving. It is counting down second by second by second. 3, 2, 1, 0. Each and every passing minute it goes. That giant countdown clock just ticks and ticks away. What would be the very first thing that you would do as you see that in the sky? Maybe the first thing that I would do is I'd pull my cell phone out and I'd take a picture of that. Not just for posterity, but I'd be texting that to all of my friends and I'd be asking, Hey, are you seeing this? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And then maybe the next thing that I'd do with that cell phone is I'd open up Facebook or my web browser and I'd be looking to see if any of the news outlets are reporting about this thing. And as the hours go by throughout that day, eventually several things would be confirmed. Number one, our government would eventually confirm that yes, there is a seven-day countdown clock blazing across the sky. It is visible by day and it is visible by night. It started on Sunday night at midnight and that is when it will end one week later. Secondly, our military forces will have confirmed that this is not the doing of North Korea or Russia or any of our enemies or it's of any kind of human devising. Furthermore, NASA will have confirmed that this is not the work of aliens. We've went up there. We've tested. There's no aliens. There's no spaceships on the horizon. There are not signals beaming in from another planet. And furthermore, what will have been confirmed is that that number in the sky, it is visible all of the time, all over the globe, to all people no matter who you are and no matter where you are. By the end of that first day, I think, everyone will have come to grips with the reality of that giant countdown clock in the sky. And I think that even we who are Christians, I think even we will have had some of our suspicions and some of our doubts. Maybe those things would have been overcome. Because as Christians, what's our knee-jerk reaction when you imagine the idea of something like that appearing in the sky? What is our knee-jerk reaction? Our knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, that that, that, that can't be the doing of God. That, that, That can't be what I think and what everybody else thinks that it is. That cannot be some kind of a countdown clock signaling the end. And the reason we would say that is because why? We'd say that because of verses like what we just read in Mark 13, verse 32, where the Bible says, of that day and of that hour... No man knows. None of us know that. We think of passages as well that talk about how the end is going to come like a thief in the night. Suddenly. We're not going to expect it. And so in our minds, rationally and, 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 and biblically, we would think, well, this just can't be a countdown clock to the end. But I think that maybe by the end of that first day, on into the second day, I think we will have probably resigned ourselves to the fact that maybe we don't understand those verses as well as we think we do. That maybe Mark 13, 32, what it really means is it means no one knows the day nor the hour when God's going to put a flaming clock in the sky counting down to the end. And that its appearance, the appearance of that clock, maybe it's what's going to come like a thief in the night. I think within about 24 to 36 hours or so, we would process all of that information in our minds so that by the time that we got up on Tuesday morning and we looked outside to see if this thing is still there, and yep, it's still there, I think by that time we and all the rest of the world will have recognized that what we are seeing in the sky is we are seeing the final countdown. That we are all counting down our last weak upon the earth. Now, if that were to happen, here comes the big question of the day. In fact, I think it's the question that probably everybody would be asking. It's a question that people ask in a hypothetical sense anyway. The question is, what are you going to do? Realizing you got this much time left, what are you going to do? If you know that the world is coming to an end in less than six days now, what are you going to do before that clock strikes all zeros? Now, as I ask that question, here's what I want to be careful about today. I did not want to just assume that we would all do the exact same things during those final few days. I did not want to assume that in the moments and in the days before the sky peels back, and the trumpet sounds, and Jesus appears, flanked by a host of angels and the souls of the faithful who have gone on before us, I did not want to assume that all of us would give the same answer to that question because well, because all of us are different. What you would choose to do during those final days would maybe be very different from what I would choose to do. And so instead of me standing up here and talking in generalities about, well, I think this is what we would all be doing during that time, I'd like to share with you what I would be doing. I recently listened to a sermon by a preacher who actually presented a similar scenario to this. And he posed this question. What would you do? And it really got me to thinking. And so this past week, in the quiet and in the solitude one afternoon of my office downstairs, I thought about this and I just scribbled down. I got my desk calendar and I just... I scribbled down just the first thoughts that came to my mind of what I would do if there were a giant countdown clock to the end blazing in the sky. The things that I just know for certain I would be doing. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying this is the stuff you would be doing, but this guy, this is the stuff that I would be doing. And I've got to tell you, the first and maybe the clearest thing that came to my mind as I contemplated the world coming to an end, and I know it's coming to an end, was that I would definitely, I would definitely be engaging in some intense and personal interaction with God. We know what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, don't we? One of the shorter verses in the Bible. Pray without ceasing i got to tell you, I think for maybe the first time in my life, I would be doing that in the truest sense of the word, praying without ceasing. I would be engaged in some private, internal and external conversations and speakings to the Lord. I would talk to God about His grace and about His favor that I know I do not deserve. I would be speaking to Him and entreating Him about His mercy that I know I desperately need each day. I would talk to the Lord about about what His Son means to me, what Jesus means to me, about how great and faithful His love is. I would probably put my nose physically on the ground with my hands and palms outstretched. And I would just utter my supplications to the Lord, maybe on an hour-by-hour basis. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I've ever prayed for hours at a time. But I think if that was happening, I'd be doing that kind of praying. But of course, I said interaction, and interaction is a two-way street, right? It wouldn't be just me talking to the Lord. I think I'd be letting the Lord do some talking to me through His Word. I would be reading and studying the Bible. I'd be reading certain passages. I think I'd be reading passages like Matthew 25. And I'd be reading 1 Thessalonians 5. And I'd be reading 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Those passages that speak about the end, what the end is going to be like, I'd be reading those and trying to get prepared accordingly. I'd be doing everything that I could to strengthen my relationship with God. I'd be confessing unrepented sin. I'd be asking God to forgive me of any sins that I've committed in ignorance or out of neglect. And then I'd read passages like like 1 John, the first epistle of John, that provide so much assurance for the Christian salvation, for the faithful child of God, that we can be sure. We have God's promises that are providing us comfort instead of uncertainty and doubt. However many days were left on that clock, I know that I would be allocating a significant portion of those days to intensely interacting with the Lord on a very personal level. Now, while that certainly would cause me to have a lot of concern about, about my life and how I'm living, I also am going to realize that that clock is ticking not just for me, but it's, click, it's ticking for everybody. Everybody around this world. And I believe that that realization would cause me, secondly, to reach out passionately to the people in my life that I know are lost and outside of Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest with you, when I was sitting in my office and I was just kind of writing these things down just as they came to my mind, I actually stopped right here. I made a list. I could not help myself. I made a list of proper names, first and last names of people that I know. First of all, I thought about people that are in my family and in my extended family. I thought about people that are associated with this local church family, some of whom are sitting in this building right now. I wrote down the names of people that I have known throughout my life who are living outside of Christ, people that I know are not in a right relationship with the Lord. And I pictured in my mind that as these days come, what I would be doing is I would get in my car physically and I would find out where these people live and I would go to where they live. Because the time for sending text messages or maybe sending a note or sending a card, that time has passed. This, this is this time now. This is the time. We need to be talking face to face. We need to be having some one-on-one conversations. I'd be beating on their door until they finally came out to talk. In fact, when they come out, it probably wouldn't even be much of a conversation. It'd be more along the lines of me saying, Come on. Come on. we got to get all of this foolishness that we've been ignoring for the past several years, we've got to get that out of the way we got to let that go. All of this positioning and jockeying, all of the doubts that you say that you have, that doesn't fly anymore. Look in the sky! Look, Do you see it? Surely you see that. This is go time. We need to go and get our lives right with the Lord. I actually imagine that those conversations with lost people would actually take much the same tone as Peter's conversation with Simon. Would you look at Acts chapter 8, please? In Acts chapter 8, you know, whenever I preach on, on evangelism, reaching out to the lost, I often make the point that we need to be gentle when we talk with folks who aren't Christians. That we need to be patient with them. That we need to be careful not just with what we say, but we need to be careful with how we say those things. And you know what? That's true. But you know what else? There also comes a time when we need to just cut straight to the heart of the matter. And I think this would be one of those times. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 21, that's what Peter does. Acts 8 verse 21, he says to Simon, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, you are in the bond, the chains of iniquity. I'd be calling a spade a spade. The clock is ticking. And if we need to pray about that, an erring brother or an erring sister, well, verse 24, that's what we'd do. We'd stop right there and we'd pray about that. If I'm talking to somebody that's never become a Christian before, you drop down to verse 36, I'd be doing what the eunuch's doing. We'd be looking for the closest pool of water and we'd be helping people get baptized. I'd be driving to people's houses. I'd be going to see them face to face. Because there'd be a sense of urgency. Wouldn't there be a sense of urgency for you? Time's running out. And we would have that daily reminder in the sky to tell us that that is so. Which is why I would thirdly, I would probably make it a point to get with the people that I love and we just do some stuff that we enjoy doing together. Now I know right now some of you are maybe thinking, Really? You know, the first two things that you pointed out there, Josh, those are very spiritual in nature, very pious, biblical sorts of things. But the third one there, that seems you know, that seems a little bit out of place, doesn't it? But you know, as I thought about what I would be doing during those final days, yes, certainly, I'd be praying to the Lord. I'd be reading His Word. I'd try to be evangelistic. But I know myself... And I do not honestly think that I would be doing those kinds of things just twenty-four hours a day, every single day. In fact, I don't even believe that God would expect me to be doing those things just round the clock nonstop. And so, since this is my list, I think part of me, part of me would want to just enjoy some of the good things and the good people that God has blessed me with in my life. I'd probably grab this guy. And that guy over there and the guy who's in North Carolina, and we'd go across the street and try to see if we could squeak out one more Taco Tuesday together. I'd grab a handful of you all that like doing kayaking, and I'd try to arrange just a trip, and let's go hit Buck Creek one more time. I enjoy doing that. I'd probably get my brother Aaron, get my brother Luke, and get our families together, and we'd see if we could have one more late-night session of board gaming into the wee hours of the night. And I'd certainly make time, me, Tiffany, and Hattie, We'd pack up and we'd just go to a park and we'd just watch Hattie play one more time. Because that's what we enjoy doing. You know, you think about those kinds of things and you might be thinking, Josh, that just just seems so trivial and so unimportant in the grand scheme of things. But would you look in Ecclesiastes 3 with me, please? In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the book of Ecclesiastes does deal with the sobering truth that the end is coming. That eternity awaits us all. In fact, in chapter 3 and in verse 11, the writer says there that God has put eternity into man's heart. And that is that God has put eternity in our hearts so that it would drive our priorities and our behavior in life. But I want you to know that Ecclesiastes is not just about doing holy things and admonitions to do spiritual things just all of the time. No. Are you there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Drop down and look at verse 12. In verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In other words, it's okay to find enjoyment in the things of this life, provided that they are not sinful. That is God's gift to each and every one of us. And you know what? It's okay to enjoy those things with the people that God has given you. Jump ahead to chapter 9. In chapter 9 and in verse 9, the writer says it just very plainly there. Chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain or fleeting life that He has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Notice there that the wise man doesn't say, now you need to be miserable, and you need to have a sour look on your face, and you need to be depressed with your fleeting life. No. He says find joy in your spouse, in your family, in your friends, and the other people God has given to you. That is His gift to you. And I'd like to think that I'm not the only one who would do that. I'd like to think that many of us would try to carve out some of that kind of quality time with the people that are important to us as we kept one eye toward the sky, as each passing day that number just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But then lastly, not lastly necessarily in order, but this was the last thing that I thought about. I got to thinking about that if Sunday night at midnight, if that's when the countdown clock began, Then what that means is, is that means that our final day on this earth would be when? It would be next Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. And so I am certain that on that day, I would worship God literally like there is no tomorrow. Who would join me in that? I believe we would worship together on that first day of the week, and I think that worship would just be amazing, we would sing fervently. Not that we don't already do, but we would sing maybe more fervently than ever we have before. We would pray. The prayers would be emotional. We would partake of the Lord's Supper. And even that would have a different tone to it. Think about it. 1 Corinthians 11 says, when you take the Lord's Supper, you're going to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We're realizing, this is the last time we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Because when Jesus comes, we're not going to need to take the Lord's Supper anymore. We will see Him face to face. We would hear the preaching of God's Word and we would contemplate that. Maybe on a deeper level than we ever had before. We wouldn't worry about how long Josh is preaching today. It would be just an amazing day of worship. Would you look in Psalm 122, please? In Psalm 122, you know, if, if this were to happen and we decided, hey, you know what? All right, Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to meet at our, our normal service times in the morning. We're going to meet at 10 until about noon for our, for our morning worship. Then we're going to meet Sunday evening at 6 p.m. until midnight. I know where I'd be. I don't know about you, but I know where I would be. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, <clears throat> as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. You should know that David is talking here about worshippers during the time of the Old Covenant and how they would go to the literal, physical city of Jerusalem in order to worship God. But we today, under the New Covenant, We are that Jerusalem. The geographical location where we worship is really immaterial. We come together and we are the ones who give thanks to the Lord. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of us. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers... And companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I think as we come together to worship on a day like that, we would be praying, and we would be singing, and we would be studying those very kinds of things. Peace be upon us, Lord. Peace be upon us as your church, as your people. And stop and think about, if there's any kind of, I don't know, any kind of of bickering or grudges that a brother or a sister has against another brother or a sister, how long do you think that's going to last? You think we're going to keep harboring that all the way up until the zeros strike that clock? I don't think so. I think we'd be giving those up pretty quickly. I think we would get very, very serious about that as the clock is counting down. We're getting to crunch time now. I think in those final hours we would all be gathered together. We'd come into this place. There'd be a lot of hugs that day. There'd be a lot of tears that day. There'd be a lot of hopeful anticipation as the day wore on. Can you you see that in your mind? I can picture us doing those kinds of worshipful activities all day long. And then maybe when it gets up around around 11.50, we decide to all get up. We're going to go outside in the parking lot. As we're out there, we're all maybe holding hands or we're just locked arm in arm. We're singing together. Imagine singing a song like, To Canaan's land, I'm on my way. Wouldn't that take on a whole new meaning in that moment? We are on our way to that land. We'd be crying together. Our eyes would be fixed and gazed upon the sky as it happens. Three, two, one. Zero. That's what I'd do. Those are the things that I would do if there were a giant burning clock in the sky counting down to the end. What about you? What would you do? I know right now, somebody's going to say, and some of you are even looking at me like, I don't care for this illustration, I'm a big fan of this. You might be thinking to yourself, Joshua, I just don't know what I would do, I guess. Because you've constructed this whole big scenario here, and the truth is, there's no way that it's going to happen like that. I know what Mark 13 says, and in fact, you can be turning back to Mark chapter 13. I know what the Bible says about that. There's not going to be a big burning countdown clock in the sky. So what does it matter for us to even sit around and speculate and ponder about what I would do? Would you look at Mark chapter 13 again? I'm going to confess to you that my imagination has certainly played a role in some of the things that I've said this morning. And I'm also going to concede to you right now that there is not one large countdown clock looming over you as we speak. I acknowledge that. Because the truth of the matter is, there are two of them. There are two of those clocks. And guess what? They are there. They are They are as real as the descriptions that I have just painted for you with one and one glaring exception. The one glaring exception is you cannot see them. You cannot. They exist. Both of them exist practically exactly as I have described for you. They are counting down. They are ticking away, but they exist only in the mind of God. And that means then that by faith, by faith we must see them. We must see what the world cannot see with their eyes. We must by faith acknowledge what is absolutely and definitely going to happen. Namely, that we are right now, we are in the midst of a countdown to Judgment Day. And that countdown clock, if you will, it has less information on it than it did when I started preaching this lesson 20-25 minutes ago. And that countdown clock, it is going in one and only one direction. It is going down to zero. And in the mind of God, when we get to zero, without having those seven days warning to somehow plan and figure out what I would do during that time, because God's already given us a lifetime to figure out what we're going to do, the end will come. It will come exactly as the Bible has said, exactly as God's Word has promised. Are you in Mark 13? Look at verse 32 again. After Jesus has said some things about about the destruction of Jerusalem and how there were some signs that people could be looking forward to when that happened, but then He shifts tone. Look at verse 31 actually back up. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away, verse 32 now. But concerning that day, what day? The day when heaven and earth passes away, of that day and that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, notice this, but only the Father. You better believe that the Father knows when the clock is hitting zero. He knows when this is all going to end. He knows exact, He knows how it's counting down and He knows exactly when that moment is going to be that it strikes zero. And what I'm asking you simply this morning is I'm asking you, can you see it? Can you see that happening? Maybe the more deeper question is, is do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you realize that you have less time right now than you have ever had in your life to do the things that need to be done in order to be prepared for that moment. In fact, that's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, He says, take heed. Verse 33, be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home. And he puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Why does Jesus say this to all? Why does He say this to everybody? Because everybody is subject to that countdown clock. Everybody is subject to the day of judgment. He says, therefore, stay away. Be on the alert. In 2 Corinthians 5, please. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives even further incentive for us to deepen our faith and our core belief about that, that we would look beyond what our physical eyes are able to see. In 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 6, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Notice this verse 7. For we... We walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know what that verse means? That verse means that as the children of God, you and I, we are able to see things that the people of this world, they cannot see. In fact, they don't really even want to see. This verse means that the new you, the the you that was created anew in Christ Jesus, is able to see things that the old you was not able to see. It means that there is a countdown to judgment day in the mind of God and through your faith, you are able to behold it. Now, I'm not saying that you can somehow see that and you can make out the numbers on the clock and you can know exactly where we are at this present moment, but you know what? You can see that it's ticking. You can see that those numbers are coming down you can see that it's got less information on it now with each and every passing minute. And as a result of that, you live your life to please Him each and every passing minute. In fact, Paul says that verse 9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Then verse 10, a verse that is very much a judgment day passage. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is a clock that is counting down to judgment day in the mind of God. And I'm asking you very forcefully right now, do you see it? Now, I said that there were two countdown clocks, didn't I? So you might be wondering, well, what could possibly be the second? Well, the first one, it is a single clock, and it is for all of mankind. But this second clock is more individual in nature. I have a clock. You have a clock. All of us have a clock that is looming over our heads, and it is counting down to the day of your death. In Psalm 139, please. In the 139th Psalm, just as God knows the exact amount of time that's left on that judgment day clock, you need to know that God also knows the amount of time that's left on you. He knows your expiration date, if you will. In Psalm 139, David talks about this. and really kind of talks about the, the cycle of life, the beginning and the end. In Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, he says, as he talks to God, he says, "...for you formed my inward parts." You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise You for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are Your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from You when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16 now. Your eyes, Lord, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in Your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Do you know what that verse means? That verse means that before you were even born, before you even existed as a living, breathing person, there was a clock placed over your head. And the number that you were given is different from the number that everybody else was given. But from the moment that you arrived and you took that first breath, that clock started ticking downward. Can you see that clock? In fact, some of you have lived long enough to where maybe right now you can feel that clock. There's no escaping that clock. Despite all of the amazing advancements that have been made in modern medicine and in modern technology, no one is going to be able to outrun this clock. I know that because the Bible says so. In Hebrews chapter 9, In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer here, he discusses the inevitability of certain events. In Hebrews chapter 9, I'm reading in verse 27. In Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 27, the writer says there, Just as it is appointed for man to die once. Stop right there. Everybody, everybody in this room, if the Lord should tarry, everybody is going to keep that appointment. You know, we make appointments all the time on earth for various things and sometimes we break those appointments. We don't keep those appointments. That isn't going to happen with this one. This is a divinely scheduled appointment. And there's no way out of it. Whether you are like it or not, whether you are ready or not, you are going to die, Hebrews 9.27 says. But did you notice that the verse doesn't end there? The writer keeps on talking. Keep reading Hebrews 9.27. Just as it is appointed for man to die once... And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Do you see it there in that passage? In that passage, we have both clocks in that single passage. The Hebrew writer says that everybody is headed in one direction. And you don't know how much time you've got. Which really kind of raises the intensity level to a whole nother degree. Even more so than even if we did know how much time that we have left. And because clock number two exists, the Hebrew writer says that clock number one must also exist. And so since we're all going to die, and since we are all going to stand before the Lord in judgment when He returns, And in that sense, yes, that makes all of us the same. We're all the same in those regards. But there is one difference. There is one thing that's going to mark a difference between the people of God and the people of the world. Did you notice it in verse 28? Verse 28 says that there's going to be some people who are eagerly awaiting His coming. There's going to be people who are hastening They are anticipating, if you can believe this, they are looking forward to the moment when that clock or clocks strike zero. They want it to come because they're ready to go and be with the Lord. Here's the thing this morning. I want you to realize that these two things right here, these things are real. Whether you buy into my illustration about the flaming digits in the sky thing or not, that really is unimportant. These two things, they're real. They're happening. And so it is then worth coming back to that original question that I started with. Seeing as how there is a countdown taking place, what are you going to do? What will you do with the amount of time that God has established for you? You know, it is true that we do not know the exact amount of time that is left on either of those clocks. We don't know that. But can I ask you? Can I go back to that list? Is there any reason why I should not be intensely interacting with God personally and daily through prayer and through the reading and study of His Word? Do I need a big burning clock in the sky to get me to do that? Shouldn't I be doing that right now? Furthermore, is there any reason why I should be any less passionate about reaching out to the lost? Knowing that they've got a clock over their head just the same as I've got a clock over my head. Should I not be intense about reaching out to them and bringing them to the Lord before it is too late? And can I ask as well, is there any reason... Why I would not be intentional about carving out, out of our busy lives, I preached on busyness last week, that I'm going to carve out of my busyness some quality time. I mean, quality, substantive time with my family, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to treasure that as being a gift from God as it really is. And I should ask as well, is there any reason... Is there any reason why my worship should be any less joyful, any less introspective, any less fervent, or any less impactful and edifying to other worshipers? In fact, just stop and imagine. Can you imagine how amazing our worship would be every single time if we treated it like, this is it? This is the last Sunday that we're going to be together before eternity begins. What if this was our last Sunday? We'd pray like it. We'd sing like it. We'd remember and observe the Lord's Supper like it. We would study and think about God's Word like it. We would embrace each other like that. What a difference I believe we would see in so many areas of our lives if through the eye of faith, we were just a little more conscious that those clocks are counting down. And they are bringing us closer and closer and closer to eternity. Now I must say, I'm actually kind of glad that there is not some visible flaming clock in the sky That's telling everyone exactly how much time they've got left until the end. And do you want to know why I'm glad that that is not the case? Because I believe that there would be a lot of people. And actually, I'm presuming just the best out of human beings. But I I would guess that there would be a lot of people who would be making an end-dash run to make their lives right with God to be baptized, to repent, to be saved, and they would be doing that out of fear. That's why they'd be doing that. They wouldn't be responding to God because they love Him, or because they love His righteousness, or because they love His kingdom, or because they love His Son so much. No, they'd be responding because they're absolutely terrified of what's going to happen when the clock strikes zero. Do you know what? God did not send His Son to this earth in order to scare people into obedience. That's not why Jesus came. First John chapter 4, verse 18, says that God sent His Son to cast out fear. And that is why. That is why there's not a big countdown clock in the sky. And that's why there ain't going to be a big countdown clock in the sky. John goes on in that epistle to say that God wants people to come to Him because they love Him. Because they believe His Son is the Christ, the Son of God because they put their faith and trust in him because they love him so much that they want to obey him and do what he has commanded and that that is what we are inviting you to do this morning that is what god wants you to do this morning before that clock expires and we don't know when that time's going to be none of us know exactly when that moment's going to be which is why we got to seize upon this moment the moment that we have right now to take decisive action and to be ready, and to be living for the Lord in the way that He would have us to do. Do you have that desire to serve God because you love Him? You want to make Him happy and you want to please Him? If that is the case, and if we can help you this morning to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, or if we can help you, brother or sister, to repent, pray with you, and encourage you to serve the Lord in a better way, then this invitation, it is yours. And it is yours for the taking. Why don't you do that right now while we stand and while we sing?